jump into this tonight. Are you, are you there? All right. Okay, let's read verse 11, and then we'll drop down and read together verses 14 and 15. Let's read together. Ready? Read. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Okay, verses 14 and 15. Well, do we have it yet? Okay. All right, let's make sure we got on the screen. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead of you guys. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Hallelujah. I'm expecting the scripture anytime now. All right. Let's go back to verse 11. Let's go back to verse 11. I want to make sure we can read it all together. There may be somebody at home. They, all they have is their phone or they're in their car. They don't have their Bible with them. So let's put verse 11 back on the screen and then we'll go to verse 14 and 15. All right. Okay, all right, let's read together. Verse 11, ready, read. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning. Okay, now let's drop down to verses 14 and 15, and we'll read those two together. Ready, read. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been, and that which is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. God requires an account of what is past. Tonight we're on part four of this mini-series, under-series of The Beautiful Life. We're talking about bright futures. Tonight I want to add a word in, scholarship, bright futures, scholarship. Lord, thank you tonight for the word. I pray that your people, Lord, will grab a hold tonight of this study of the past to see what you're bringing into our future tonight. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, the word will sink down into our hearts, that the seed will produce the harvest of righteousness, the harvest of right living in our lives, Father, that is supposed to produce. Let it come forth mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Praise the Lord. We've been sharing with you over the last couple of weeks here that the, the importance of staying with God. Yes, that if you and I stay with God, if we, as Brother Christopher taught us this morning, don't lose our grips. Yes. I don't know how many of y'all caught that. That was a powerful teaching this morning. I'll tell your neighbor, don't lose your grip. Don't lose your grip. Hallelujah. If we do that, we will, we all have a very bright future ahead of us. Okay. Now, we've been uh, springboarding from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, where the Bible says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt, that he may exalt you in due time. Okay, so that word exalt means to lift up. All right, it's, we just shorten it, just means take us to the top. Okay, and then in due time, meaning the Kairos time or, or the set time. Okay, so God has a set time to exalt us. Everybody has that down now, right? Now, 1 Peter 5, verse 6, let's look at that also in the easy to read version, please. The easy to read version. And let's see what it says here. 
Easy to read version. First Peter 5 and verse 6. Hallelujah. All right. It says, so be humble under God's powerful hand. Then he will lift you up when the right time comes. So be humble under God's powerful hand. Then he will lift you up when the right or the Kairos time comes. Okay? So my job is to humble myself. It's God's job to lift me up. Okay? And he's going to do it. It's his plan. He wants to do it. Okay? So we said this on Sunday. Uh, don't waste time trying to exalt yourself. Right? Matthew 23, verse 12 says, whoever exalts himself, Jesus says this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So I shouldn't waste my time trying to exalt myself because if I do it to myself, God's going to make sure I come back down. <laughs> okay? And he knows how to do that too. So don't waste life trying to exalt yourself. Number two, I told you Sunday was, uh, God is in charge. God is in charge of all the exaltation. I want to put on the screen, I want to read all this. I know this is a review, but just, let me just take my time and read this. Psalm 75, verses 5 through 7. Psalm 75, verses 5 through 7. Because we're going to see again, God is in charge. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. God is in charge. Say it. God is in charge. It says, do not lift up your horn. This is verse 5. On high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. You know the Bible talks about being stiff-necked? It's pride, prideful and arrogant, set in your own ways. So don't speak with a stiff neck. Verse 6, please. Verse 6. For exaltation, King James says promotion, but here we're saying exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Verse 7. Verse 7. But God is a judge. He puts down one and exalts another. So who's the judge? Not your mama. Your mama's nice, but she's not the judge. And not your supervisor or the boss or the manager or the CEO or the president or the, or the, or the congressman or the mayor or whoever. No, God is a judge. And neither am I. You know what I'm saying? Neither are you. You're not the judge. I mean, because if we all judge ourselves, we probably exalt ourselves instantly. Am I right about it? But we're learning what our job to do is to humble ourselves. So God can exalt us, and we see here, he's the judge. He puts down one, come on, and exalts another. Then we said number three Sunday was, uh, God knows how and when to exalt you. God knows how and when to exalt you. See, that way you and I never have to compromise our faith. Don't have to compromise anything, okay? God knows how and when. He's a judge, so he knows who, he knows how, he knows when. He knows the right time. And that's what we're looking at. Let's go back now to uh, our key scriptures here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Hallelujah. Vanessa, is that your name? I remember you. Good to see you tonight. Vanessa, I just came this like Vanessa. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And verse 11, where we read in, here in the, King, in the New King James, 
that it says he has made everything beautiful in its time. You have your Bibles open? Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Okay? Now, I want to go from there, me to go quickly to the CEV, the same verse. Okay? Because we said you don't waste your life trying to exalt yourself. God is in charge, and he knows how and when to exalt you. Okay? He, ha- he knows how and when. All right? So let, let me read. I feel like they got some, they're down. Okay. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Did y'all, when y'all prayed, did y'all bind the devil, the, de- the media devil? <laughs> y'all should have, should have bind, we bind the media devil, the devil that works against media. <laughs> Take authority over the media devil. Praise the Lord. Not the people. I'm talking about the, the equipment. Is That's what's happening. People are just fine. It says here in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, the CEV says this. It says, God makes everything happen at the right time. God makes everything happen at the right time. Everybody say the right time. That's Kairos. He makes everything happen at the right time. Okay? So God knows the right time to make it happen for me. I don't want to make it happen for myself. If I make it happen for myself, if I make things happen for me, I'm going to be a, a out of season. Has anybody ever found yourself doing something out of season? You bought something too early or you went somewhere too early, you did something too early, out of season. Right? So I got to make sure I'm in the right season. I think in King James, that's the word, word it uses in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He, he, uh, he has made everything beautiful in its season. Is that what it says? Didn't Robert? Oh, in this time? Okay, probably some modern translations use the word season. Okay? So I don't want to be out of season or anything. Okay, now let's stay there in the, in the, in the uh, Ecclesiastes 3. And I'm looking again at verse 14 and 15 here. Let's go here. Verse 14 and 15. Media knows I'm all over the place. So I'm just, y'all just, hang on. Y'all hanging on? Verse 14 and 15. It says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be how long? Forever. Forever. Praise God. He does all things well, too. God doesn't have to do anything. He does, it's not going to break down when he does it. Nothing can be added to it. Or nothing, can, nothing taken from it. God does it forever that men should fear before him. Okay? So when I want something to be done, I want God to do it because it's going to be forever. If I do it, it's going to be temporary. All right? Because it's going to always have holes in it. All right, verse 15. Verse 15. That which is has already been. Now, this sounds a little confusing, but we're breaking it down here. That which is has already been, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Right? Okay, now let's get a little more clarity here. Let's switch to the King James. It's, it's not often that you go to the King James for more clarity. But let's look at the King James with a little more clarity. It says, that which hath been is now. So if we just take out the Shakespearean, let me just read it without the Shakespearean here. That which has been is now. And that which is to be has already been. 
Here's the key part I want you to see. And God requires that which is past. So whatever's in the past, he's requiring it now. Got it? Okay, now let's keep going here because if you were here Sunday, you got all that. So if you weren't here Sunday, go back and listen to part one of this, or, or this is actually part three on Sunday. So this is part four tonight. Go back and listen to that. So let's switch to, to the, the New English translation, the New English translation on verse 15. Hallelujah. Let's see what it says. It says, whatever exists now has already been. Okay? And then it says, and whatever will be has already been. Is that clear? And watch this last part. For God will seek to do again what has occurred in the past. So God is looking to do again what he's done in the past. There's a song out there, if he did it before, he can do it again. Not only can he do it again, he, he's looking to do it again. So whatever God has done, whatever things we see in the world, whatever we see of our Bible heroes and the Bible, the characters of faith, whatever he's done in the past, he is seeking to do it again. And what he has to find is somebody who will allow him to do it. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says the eyes of the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So he's, he's searching right now. I wonder if he's looking right here at 2361 tonight, if he finds somebody who says, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm yielding to you. I'm available to you. Whatever you did in the past that he's looking to do again, I'm your man, Lord. I'm your man, Lord. <laughs> if you can use anything, use me, Lord. He wants to do what he's done in the past. I mean, do y'all know what he's done in the past? I, I mean, and not just your past. The past. I mean, even if you look back at your life, you say, well, I ain't, I ain't God never done anything for me. Just hold on. Just hold on. Because what he's done for others, he'll do for you. That's what we used to sing the song, Mom, right? There's no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Y'all remember that song? There's no secret. Just look in this scripture. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. If he healed Hezekiah, he will heal you. If he made a way in the wilderness for the children of Israel, manna, water out of a rock, made quail all spaz out over the camp. I mean, he'll do it for you. Glory to God. All right. Now, let me keep going here. Keep going. Now, we told you this Sunday that whatever you don't learn from the past, you are doomed to repeat. So when we're looking at the past, we've got to learn some things and then know how to look back and learn from the right things. Because when we look at the right things, we see a, a picture or a preview of our futures. Okay? So tonight we gotta we gotta get make sure we got some scholarship down. That's why we named this Bright Future Scholarship. Now the word scholarship, when you think of scholarship, most people think about, you know, I got money to go to school. 
And that's, that's true. That's one definition of scholarship. But the basic definition of scholarship is learning or knowledge acquired by study. Scholarship. If you're a scholar, you're a student. So scholarship is the, the learning or the knowledge that you acquired by your study. Got it? Praise God. That's why, that's why they try to give scholarships to scholars. Let me come back over here. You want to give scholarships to scholars who are actually going to study and learn and achieve. Amen. Praise God. Make something out of it. So we're in scholarship tonight. You know, the Bible tells, tells you to study to show yourself approved to God, right? Be diligent, but it also means to study, okay? Be diligent in your studies, okay? Now, so we, we looked at Sunday couple here. Let me just go back over a couple here. Luke 17, 32, Jesus gave three powerful words. Remember Lot's wife. He didn't talk about her. He didn't tell what happened because he knew, he knew that everybody knew about what happened to Lot's wife. How many of y'all know about Lot's wife? Well, I was thinking today, I was thinking, boy, Lot, Lot's wife, Job's wife, them wives are something else. And the Bible never gave their names. Probably a good reason why the Bible didn't give their names. They were crazy and they were, had issues. So Jesus just said, remember Lot's wife. In other words, remember what happened to her. Okay, so don't follow her example. Okay, you can go back. And, and a, what a scholar would do is go back and see what happened in her life. Now, I'm trying to do that tonight. Hopefully, you went home Sunday and you said, okay, let me see what Lot's wife, what happened to Lot's wife? Went back to the book of Genesis and saw when God was delivering them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, how the sister girl was so caught up in what she was leaving, she couldn't see where she was going, and she turned around and looked back, and the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. Okay? So, don't do that. Then we looked at 1 Corinthians 10. I want to look at that in the, in the easy to read version. 1 Corinthians 10, just verse 11 tonight, just verse 11. I don't have time to read. We, we read all of that, 1 through 11 on Sunday, but let's look at verse 11 tonight. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 says, the things that happen to those people, now verse 1 through 10 goes through the children of Israel, how they got crazy on God. They, was, they were, God had delivered them out of Egypt, brought them out of bondage, taken them on towards the, to the promised land, and yet some of them got over into idolatry. What is idolatry? Worshiping other gods, right? Some of them got open to immorality, specifically sexual immorality. That's fornication, everything that goes along with it. They got over into complaining. What's complaining? Come on, y'all know. You don't have to define it, but you know what it is. <laughs> so stop complaining. There's no complaint box up here. It's too cold. It's the music. No, I'm just playing. Music too loud. No, no, they, they were complaining to God about not having enough. God is out here in this wilderness to die. They kept questioning God. So don't do that. God knows how to get you to your expected end. Praise God. 
So in verse 11 it says, the things that happen to those people are examples. Now, let me, let me just make sure I add, what happened to them when they got into idolatry and immorality complaining was they died. Even though they wanted the same cloud, passed through the same water, same sea, had the same water from the rock following them, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, they didn't make it to the promised land, they died in the wilderness. Okay? So these things happened to them as, uh, those people are examples rather, it says they were written to be what? Warnings for us. Now, you don't give a warning if there's no danger. So they are written to us as New Testament believers as warnings. We live in the time that all those past histories were pointing to. You got it. All right, now, so we learn from them and Lot's wife, Sister Lot, What not to do. Don't look back. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't get an immorality. Don't get an idolatry. Don't do that. Because doing that will jeopardize your future. Isn't that something that we try to tell young kids today? You know, you got, a, you got a young guy playing football, and he's a star, a star athlete. He can play real good. And he goes out there, and we say, listen, don't go out there and do something that's going to jeopardize your future. You got a great future ahead of you, man. You can write your own ticket. You're a baller, man. You can write your own ticket. Don't go out there and start drinking, and don't go out there and doing this stuff. You're going you're gonna to jeopardize your future. And see, like some of them, the more you tell them, the more determined they are. Start wanting to call them, you don't, you don't do it, but you, you want to call them a knucklehead. Y'all remember we used to hear that growing up. That's not a you know, modern term. Knuckleheads, praise God. You still call them knucklehead. Don't be a knucklehead. Or we could say, the Bible say, don't be a meathead. When the Bible talks about being carnal, that word carnal is meat. Don't be a meathead. Don't, don't be carnally minded. That's meatheaded. Don't let your flesh drive you. That's how some of these boys get in trouble. They're flesh driving them and jeopardize their futures. Praise the Lord. Okay, now let's go to, to the next one here, James 5. James 5, and let's look at verse 10 and 11. James 5, verse 10 and 11. Hallelujah. Now, remember we looked at this Sunday. This is where, this is where the Lord set it off. James 5 and verse uh, 10 and 11. And it says this, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example. So notice these examples which we should be looking at here. Don't look at Lot's wife. Don't look at the people who fell in the wilderness. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Okay? Look at all that they went through and how things turned out for them. Okay? Verse 11. Indeed, we count them what? Blessed. Who what? Endure. So the ones who are blessed are the ones who endure. The ones who endure are the ones who are blessed. Endurance implies you're going to go through some challenge. You're going to have your cages rattled. That was such a great way to put it this morning. Anybody here ever had your cage rattled? Something that's come against you has, has, I mean, an attack from the enemy, opposition from the enemy. 
Okay? But if you endure, you're blessed. Then he says, look at this. I, I love this. This, I didn't, this didn't, didn't hit me till today. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Now, we're in the book of James. And James is talking to the church at Jerusalem and says, y'all heard about Job. Now, remember, at this time, there's, there's no picture books and there's no, you know, uh, there, there was no documentary, you know, uh, recorded about him. But somehow the story of Job had passed down from generation to generation to generation. He said, you have heard of it. You've heard of it. You've heard of, of the perseverance, or as King James says, the patience of Job. And then the part that, that, I, that really hit me Sunday was, and seeing the end intended by the Lord. So regardless of everything Job went through between chapter 1 and 42, we saw the end intended by the Lord. And as I implied to you, is to see not just, not just the end that he intended for Job, but see the end he intended for you or he intends for you. As a matter of fact, there's another scripture. Um, let's see. Let's try Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Let's try that. Let's see if, if uh, this is what I'm thinking about. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. No, yeah, that's it. Declaring the end from the beginning. This is what God does. He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Remember, he requires what is past. So he declares the end from the beginning. So whatever we saw back in the beginning is what is going to be manifested in the end. That's why Sunday we talk back to the future. So we saw with Job's life the end that the Lord intended. Boy, that's good right there. Hallelujah. King James... I think it says, when we saw uh, you known the patience of Job and seen the end of the Lord. The end, that's what it says, the end of the Lord. That's interesting. You've seen the end of the Lord, or you've seen, you've seen what happens when the Lord is done. In other words, if you've not come into your place of restoration, he's not done. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. In other words, let me just say this simply as we can keep going here. When you face challenges, or better, better put opposition from the enemy, because God will challenge you. But when you face opposition from the enemy, when you get your cage rattled, when you're going through hardship, when you're going through the most uh, difficult time in your life, you must go through it with the end in mind. You, that, that's the only way you're going you're gonna to endure. That's the only way that you're going to make it if you go through it with the end in mind. Let me ask this question. Anybody here, you ever, you ever uh, I was about to say anybody ever fasted, but I don't want to embarrass you. Has anybody ever dieted? You've dieted. You've skipped meals of diet. You know, you're going to get your summer body. Or, or your class reunion body, whatever, whatever it is, whatever your, whatever your motivation is. And you're sitting there and you're, 
You're like, man, everybody around you eating po' folks and they're eating, you know, cheesecake and they're eating, you know, everything around you they can get their hands on and you're sitting there with eating, you know, rabbit food and all that good stuff. You're eating your, eating your lettuce and your salad with light vinaigrette dressing and, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is wonderful. This is, this is so wonderful. And you're, you're, you're enduring that. Everything in you wants to take some of that chicken or take whatever you can get your hand on and you want to do it. But the reason why you keep going is because you have the end in mind. There's an end result that you have in mind. So I'm going to endure and persevere and go through and suffer a little while. Because there's an end result I'm trying to get to. While you're running, jogging, on the bike, whatever you're doing, you got the end in mind. What, what allowed Jacob to work seven years? Because he had Rachel, the end in mind. And then when he got duped by his father-in-law to work another seven, he had Rachel in mind. He had the end goal in mind. When you go through your challenge and your most acrimonious time of life, you got to have the end in mind. The reason people quit is because they don't keep the end in mind. Paul said in all, all that stuff, I press toward the mark. I forget what's behind me. I reach toward what's ahead of me. And I press, I press, I press, I persist, I pursue. I keep pushing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, you got to have the end in mind. And God declares the end from the beginning. So when I see Job's life, I see the end he had in mind. I see the end he has in mind for us. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, 24, 13. Notice what Jesus says. He says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, you could say, all right, if I hold out and endure to the end, that means the end of the world at a time. Well, Paul endured to the end. But he didn't see the end that is here. He endured to the end of his time. So, yes, we could talk about the end of time, but what about the end of your test? The end of your attack, the end of your opposition, the end of your cage being rattled. If you can endure to the end of that. Because it's going to be an end. Surely there is a hereafter. The Bible says. And your expectation shall not be cut off. So there is a hereafter. Your, your trial has an expiration date on it already. You don't know what it is. You just got to endure unto the end. Job didn't know how long. When, you, when we read Job chapter 1, and uh, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at that. I, I'm not going to read Job chapter 1, but I, I want you to go all the way to Job 42, in fact. Go to Job 42. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Hallelujah. Because we've heard of the endurance of Job, of the perseverance of Job. Job 42. And uh, now we know how it started for him, right? Wealthy man, greatest man in all, all of all the East, okay? But Isaiah 42, I'm sorry, Job 42, and verse uh, 10. It says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends as an intercessor. Indeed, the Lord gave Job what? Twice as much as he had before. Okay, let me keep reading. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been, in his, been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in, in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Now, we know properly translated that would be the adversity the Lord allowed because the Lord didn't bring it on him. The Lord allowed it. In fact, the Lord only allowed so much. The devil would have gone all the way, but God said, no, no, you're going to do so much because he will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to handle, okay? The Bible never said he won't tempt you. It says he won't allow you to be tempted. People, people mispreach that and missing that. He won't put more on you than you can bear. He's not putting anything on you. Did you hear what I said? He's not putting anything on you. It says he will not allow you to be tempted more than you can bear, okay? Verse 12, verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, that's double, 6,000 camels, that's double, 1,000 yoke of oxen, that's double, and 1,000 female donkeys, that's double. He also had seven sons and three daughters, that's the same. He started out with seven and three, at the end he ended up with seven and three. In other words, God restored every, every one child, that he, every child he lost, you got it? Glory to God. Let me drop down to verse 16. Because... Now look, look, look at me. We don't know how much time passed between chapter 1 and chapter 42. Sometimes we get it in our mind, this was years and years of suffering. But it wasn't. We know it was at least seven days because the Bible says his friends came and sat with him seven days. Matter of fact, first they came and sat and didn't say anything. They looked at him. Isn't that what the Bible said? They sat in this and looked at it. Day after day after day just looked at it. Then, then they finally said, well, let, let, me, let me just break the silence. Let me just say something. And then, then they started condemning him and attacking him about sin. But he wasn't in any sin, was he? See? And so we don't know how long it took them to find out he was sick, how long it took them to get there, but we know this was, this was not a long time. Not, it wasn't years and years that he was sick or going through this trial. Now, I want you to see something because I want you to, the Bible says uh, our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Right? Our light afflictions, which are but for a moment. Which means you might feel like you've been going through for a long time. But compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in you, it's going to be but a moment. When you look back, 
I mean, think about it. I, I've never gone through labor, but women who've gone through labor, you know, bringing a child into the earth, you know, that, that labor might last, sometimes it might last 24 hours, you know, whatever. It can be a long time. So I got some witnesses. Uh, it, can be, it can be a long time. But that's 24 hours compared to how many years with, of joy with that child. You follow what I'm saying? And, and Jesus, Jesus said, and Jesus said, when that child is born, you forget all that pain you went through. That's what Jesus said. Now, Jesus never had a baby, but I believe he was saying something. Some of y'all might want to quit Jesus. <laughs> Don't question Jesus. If you say you forget it, then you just forget it. He said they forget all about that pain they went through. Praise the Lord. By faith, increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith. So let's look at verse 16 here. Job 42, verse 16. Look at the first two words. After this. So this is not telling us how old Job was. It's telling us how the things that happened after all this mess. After this, Job lived another 140 years. In my mind, I'm thinking the guy only, only, you know, 80 years old. He's going through all this, you know. But no, it says after this, he lived another 100, lived 140 years, and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. So this, this, this time period of his trial was so brief compared to the bigger picture of his life. See, so remember what we read back in James, we saw the end the Lord intended. So what we read about this 140 years was all the end stuff. Y'all not catching it. That the double restoration and the 140 years was all the end. That God intended. Which meant he only allowed him to go through the trial a small time. That meant the end that God intended was much bigger than the time spent in the trial. Y'all got to catch what I'm saying to you. That means that if you're going through, keep the end in mind. You're going to spend more time enjoying the end than you spent Enduring the trial. Somebody just tell you that, but just go through. Just go through. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, now, again, I want to remind you, Ecclesiastes 3.15, in the New English translation says, God is seeking to do again what has occurred in the past. God is seeking to do Again, he will seek to do again what has occurred in the past. Okay? Let's look at another, another person here that the Bible tells us to uh, study. Because this is scholarship night. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. If you're in Job, go a few more books towards the right. Isaiah 51. This 
This is a fairly familiar passage around here. Let's just look at it for those who may not be so familiar with it. Isaiah 51, verse 1. Listen to me. <laughs> you who follow after righteousness, is that anybody in here? You who seek the Lord, is that you tonight? He says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Verse 2, look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. I want to read verse 3 and then I'll come back. Verse 3 says, for, so look to them, for the Lord will comfort Zion. So notice, He's telling us to look at what God did for Abraham and Sarah to get a picture of what he will do for Zion. Now, Zion happens to include us. Okay? For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her what? He will make her wilderness like what? Eden. Eden. He requires that which is past. Oh, Jesus. Um, hopefully y'all can find it. Give me verse 16 in the same chapter. Verse 16 in the same chapter, and I'll come back. I want you to see how God is requiring the past. Verse 16, same chapter. Because he starts out talking, telling us who to look at, who to study, who to get knowledge of. Verse 16, and I have put my words in your mouth. Come on. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. Why? Plant the heavens and what? And say to Zion. Now what he's saying, plant the heavens, lay the foundations. He's talking about reestablishing Eden. So I put my words in your mouth. But I got to get you to first see the right thing. So I told you who to study. Study Abraham your father, and study Sarah who bore you. This is bright future scholarship. Now, go back to verse 2, please. Verse 2. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. That word look comes from the Hebrew word nabat, nabat, which means to look to regard, pay attention to, consider. Remember we talk, talked about uh, Mark the blameless man, observe the upright, okay? Consider, it's the, it comes from a primitive root, which means to scan. You scan with your eyes, you check them out. To, in other words, to look intently at. Intently. When you're studying... You're looking intently at something. Y'all remember when you were in school and you were pretending to study? You weren't really studying. You weren't really looking intently. You were, your mind was drifting. You were on something else. But you were scanning, looking for the answers to something. That's all you were really looking for. I'm not really, not really studying. I'm just looking to answer these questions. Not really trying to learn. Just trying to pass a test. 
so I can get out of here. But when you really want to learn, you look intently. You look deep into something. You observe, you perceive, you really consider something. Okay? Thank you, Lord. So it means to look, look intently at, by implication, to regard with pleasure, favor, or care. So when it says look at, at, at uh, Abraham and Sarah, regard them with pleasure, favor, or care. So look on them favorably. In other words, look for the good things. Don't go out and check out all their little mistakes. Oh, y'all missed that. You missed that. Y'all missed that. Don't, because, you know, we can easily look back at, at, at uh, Abraham and Sarah and look at all their little mistakes. You know what, well, man, Abraham sure blew it. God didn't tell him to go lay down with Hagar, and he blew it. Sarah, she got all in her feelings. Had the man put the, put the lady and the, and the baby out the house with no child support, no nothing. You can talk about them. But we don't, we don't need to be fault-finding. Because truth is, we can find fault with anybody and everybody. And God can find a lot of fault with us. But thank God he doesn't. Right? Isn't that what James 1 says? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives liberally without fault finding. Isn't it good that God doesn't find fault with us? Oh, y'all better help me out. Isn't it good that God doesn't go looking for fault with us? So we should do that to each other. So when we look back at Abraham and Sarah, let's not go and pick out all their faults. People go, oh, Peter, boy, Peter sure blew it. Man, Peter, walk in the water, he starts sinking. He's so dumb. At least he walked. Show me you take two, three steps, and I'll, I'll give you a dollar. If you take two or three steps. So don't find fault. Let's, let's, take, let's, let's enjoy a look favorably on the good side of them. Oh, Jesus. Look on the bright side. I like that. I like that. Look on the bright side. Tell your neighbor, look on the bright side. Don't look at the dark side. Don't bring out Pete and Pooney and all them. Praise God. Look on the bright side. So study them. Now, now again, come back now. When I'm studying Abraham and Sarah, I'm looking at what God did for them to know to know and thus anticipate what God will do for me. Now again, what does it say in 51 verse 2? I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. So let's look at the fact that he says, I called him alone. Now back in Genesis 12 verse 1, Genesis 12 verse 1, we see that where that happened. Now, we're studying, right? Yes, sir. We're being scholars tonight. Yes, sir. In 12, verse 1, it says, hallelujah, let me get it here. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, had said. Didn't say the Lord saying. He said the Lord had said, which means the Lord had already said this before. Abraham just had been kind of slow learning, a slow, slow poking about it. But we're not going to pick on him now, right? Remember, we're not fault finding and look at what the Lord has said to him because it's, it's, a, it's a tall order that God gives him. The Lord has said to, to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. 
It's a tall order. Because what he's telling Abram is to leave everything and everyone you know and total disconnect and follow me. So before we pick on Abraham for being slow about it, let's consider if God were to tell us right now, and many of us he has, to leave everything you know, leave the comforts and familiarity of your home, your family, your loved ones, so I can take you somewhere and show you something and do something in your life, and yet we hem haw and we stalling and kind of well, you know, like that's my family, I like them, that's my friend and everything, and we're still stuck and not giving God room to bless us and increase us. See, I'm going to bless you and increase you when you come out here. I can't do it back there where you are. I can't do it back there when you're stuck around all the paganism of your family. This, this is what the, what the problem was for Abram. Abram's family, they, they were moon worshipers. They were idolaters. They were pagan worshipers. And God said, I can't do it while you're still stuck around them and you got, got a little moon beam in your eye and everything. I can't do it around there. I need you to come out from among that and be separate so I can bless you. Hallelujah. So it was tough. It was tough. And God knew what he, what he was asking Abram was a tall order. But God had the end in mind for Abram. And if God asks you to do something so big, he has the end in mind. He has a purpose in mind for your life. Y'all got this here. Now, so what happened, for Abraham to walk into this new life God has for him, he has to release, break away from his past and embrace the future God has for him. And many of us, the reason why we don't step into the fullness that God has for us is because we're trying to hold on to our past and grab on to our future. And it's, it's, it's not you being pulled in two directions. Destiny is pulling you, but your old life is still, is still pulling on you, and you won't just let go. If you let go of that past, let go of what you're familiar with, let go of what you're content with, let go of what you've been holding on to, then God is able now to take you into your bright future. Does anybody know I'm telling the truth in this place? When God called me out to pastor, I was in a straight denominational church. I'm not going to call the name of it, and I'm not going to pick on it, but God told me, I was sitting on a charter bus, and God told me that he was calling out to start a church. And he said, but you can't start it in this group. And I loved it. That's all I ever knew was my denomination. I loved that. I love it. I still love it. <laughs> I still enjoy it. I still sing the same songs and <laughs> I love it. But he, he told me that he couldn't do in me what he wanted to do in me if I, was if, if I would stay, rather, because he didn't say stuck. But if I stayed in what I was in. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So God has to snatch us out, pull us out. But he's a gentleman. He's going to invite us out. He says, I called him alone. And I blessed him and increased it. Are you saying this tonight? Y'all got a few more minutes here. Okay, go to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Because God called him. 
Your faith has to be activated when God's calling you out. Your faith must be in full force when you're going into the future God has for you. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, what we read in Genesis 12, 1, God called him out, right? Away from his country, away from his family, away from all of his father's household. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11, you got it? Yes, sir. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out, called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Now, you and I know this wasn't, it wasn't immediate, which meant it took a minute for his faith to kick in. Because we read in Genesis 12, 1, the Lord had said. And so if you, if you go back to chapter 11, I don't have time to go through it to read it, but if you read chapter 11 of Genesis, you see where God told him to come out from your father's house and your kindred and all that kind of stuff. But you go to read chapter 11, he was still traveling with his father and his brother. He was still traveling with his father and his brother. That's how he ended up with Lot, his brother's son. Because he had not disconnected from his family. That's why 12.1 says, the Lord had said. In other words, he was still stuck in the familiar and it took, it took God to uh, help store his faith for his faith to release. And really what happened, his father died. First, his brother died. That's how he ended up having Lot, his nephew. And then his father, Terah, died. Well, now everything died. Well, now I guess I can obey God. Now, we're not picking on Abraham now. But don't wait for everybody to die before you obey God. No, obey God now. Okay, so here it is, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in what? Tents. Tents with Isaac and Jacob. I think, does King James use the word sojourning? It's down there. Sojourning. Sojourning is the equivalent of renting. In other words, he went from being settled in his permanent primary residence, owning everything where he was, to obeying God. Well, it means I, I got a rent to get where God's taking me. I'm, I'm traveling. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stuck in what I had. I'm on this journey. Anybody hear me? I'm on this journey because I, I know wherever I'm going, God has my future in mind, my end in mind, so I'm going to let go of what I was stuck to and what had me bound so I can get to where God's taking me. So he was dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has, let me turn this page, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child and she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore, Therefore, remember God called him alone, bless him and increase him. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the sea, the seashore. 
Right? So Abraham and Sarah's faith is what laid hold of the future. Did you catch that? Your faith must lay hold of the future. Your faith must lay hold of the future. If you don't activate your faith, your flesh will keep you comfortable in your present. Your flesh will keep you tied, hostage, prisoner to your present. And your present may be all right. But your present ain't it. Your present is not the end. God has a glorious end in mind for you, but you've got to, by faith, grab hold of your future. How do you know that's true? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is what? Of what? Anything you hope for is in the future, right? So faith gives substance to your hope, which means faith gives substance to your future. And it's the evidence of things not seen. Let's look at that same verse. Y'all know Hebrews 11 verse 1. Look at it in the, in the Living Bible. The Living Bible. I, I love the Living Bible. Look at what it says. What is faith? Ask your neighbor, what is faith? What is faith? Let me answer you. It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. Y'all didn't catch that. It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. Tell your neighbor it's going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us. Even though we cannot see it up ahead. It's waiting for me. Y'all better catch that. What I'm hoping for is waiting for me. Not I'm waiting for it. Faith says it's waiting for me. Faith says it's already done. Faith says it's already finished. Faith said I already have it. It's waiting for me. So faith changes your whole perspective to from I'm waiting for it to happen. No, it's waiting for me to get there. It's waiting for me to hold out and endure to the end. It's waiting on me to release my past. It's waiting on me to release my present. It's waiting on me to release some people. It's waiting on me to release some things. It's waiting on me to release some fears. So I can grab a hold of the future God has for me. See? That's what faith is. Hallelujah. Now, four minutes left. Let's, let's deal with the future. Because remember now, we're seeing the end for him. He was caught alone. And God blessed him. Genesis 24. Y'all know Genesis 13 too, how God made him rich and all that kind of good stuff. Let's look at Genesis 24. Let's see the testimony of his servant, Eleazar. Genesis 24 and verse 1. Now Abraham, by now, he was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham. We read, look to him now. The Lord blessed him, the Lord caught him along, and blessed him and increased him. So we see now Genesis 24 how it's being defined here. The Lord had blessed him, blessed Abraham in what again? In all things. Now let's go to verse 34 and 35, second time. 34 and 35. Same chapter. This is Eleazar talking. 
So he said, he's talking to Rebecca, Rebecca's family. He's getting a wife for Isaac. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Verse 35. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great. Okay, now I want you to see that. He, the Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great. Become means he wasn't. See, you got to get out of your mind the idea that Abraham came into this thing already great and loaded. He wasn't. When God called him out, he had to leave everything he, he had from his father's house. He started brand new. And it says the Lord has blessed him greatly and he has become great. Now remember, we're seeing the end. We're seeing what God wants to make happen in the future for us. <laughs> and he, let me just finish this. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, yada, 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 yada. He's given a bunch of stuff. Male and female, silver and gold, male and female donkeys, uh, male and female servants, rather, and camels and donkeys. So he's got plenty of stuff. But the part I want you to see is that he has become great. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. So his being great, made great, was God's doing. God exalted him. God lifted him up. See? Let me be great. That's what the kids say. Let me be great. See? And God had done, he had done this for him. Okay? Now, I just want to remind you that Ecclesiastes 3.15, the New English translation says this, God is seeking to do again what has occurred in the past. God is seeking to do again what has occurred in the past. So what I saw God do for Job, who came before Abraham, it's a picture of what God is going to do for me. What I, I just saw God that he's done for Abraham, he's going to do for me. Galatians 3.9 says, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Galatians 3.9. Give me that media, give me 3.9 in the, in the uh, CEV. CEV. Let's see what it says. 3.9 in the CEV. Contemporary English version. This means... Everyone who has faith will share in the blessings given to Abraham because of his faith. Do you have faith tonight? It's by faith that Abraham got all the blessings and it's by faith that you get all the blessings. No different. You share in the blessings that God has given to Abraham because of his faith. One more place. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 in the Passion. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 in the Passion. Let's see what it says here. Same chapter, verse 13 and 14 in the Passion Translation. It says, yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. Isn't that good? He absorbed it completely. The curse, it means. As he became a curse in our place. For it is written... 
Everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. Doubly cursed. To be hung, crucified on a tree was a, a special punishment. Okay? Verse 14. Jesus, our Messiah, was cursed in our place and in so doing dissolved the curse from our lives. That's good already. That's already good. I mean, if he didn't, if he didn't add anything else, just the fact that he dissolved the curse. So that, so that all the blessings of Abraham, all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon even non-Jewish believers. I'm one of those non-Jewish believers. Any other non-Jewish believers I have here tonight? And now God gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe in him. So doubly blessed, not only the blessings that come from Abraham, but we also receive the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit. I mean, we got it made, man. We got it made in the shade. To have the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us, to have the spirit of the living God on the inside of us, we've got it made in the shade. And then he says, I'm going to give you all the blessings, the same blessings I gave Abraham. Now, we read about Abraham's blessings, right? So what I saw in the past is a forecast and a picture of my future. If I endure to the end, if I keep going, if I don't quit, if I don't turn around, if I don't draw back, then the same thing happened for Job, same thing happened for Abraham, same thing God did for David, same things God did for Solomon, same things God did for Hezekiah, same things God did for Jehoshaphat, same things God did for all of them, same things God did for Paul, God will do in my life. I'm doubly blessed. Said I'm doubly blessed. I have the Holy Ghost. And the blessings of Abraham on my life. Do y'all receive that tonight? Why don't you give God a big praise if you receive that word tonight? Hallelujah! Glory to God! Glory to God! Glory to God! Glory to God! See, so what we do is we go back and we study. Study. Don't, don't let the devil limit you or make you think you're limited because of uh, your education level or lack thereof or because of your gender or because of your ethnicity or because of your geographical location because of your vocation that you have don't let the devil limit you on that no whatever God did for these people here is an example for us of what he will do for us how in the end how it will turn out amen, amen. praise God for that Lord thank you tonight for the word thank you Father that your word has come the word of your grace which builds us up and gives us an inheritance among the saints. So thank you for our inheritance that you said in your word in Colossians chapter 1 that you have qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So thank you, Lord, that you've delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us safely over to the kingdom of your dear son. And now we live in that kingdom and we enjoy that kingdom. And Lord, we are safe in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father that your blessing is upon us and that you've shown us a, a preview of our futures, a preview of coming attractions. Thank you, Father, that you are taking us and leading us all the way 
to the end. And we will not turn aside. We will not draw back. We will not quit. We've come this far. We find no fault. We feel like going on. We will go on. We will go on in the name of the Lord. Father, in, the, in reality, God, I know for me, if you never did anything else in my life, you've already done so much just by saving me from a devil's hell. You've already given me, Lord, more than I, more, more than I could ask for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your glorious salvation. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. Thank you, Lord, for joy and peace and, and power and love all in our lives. Thank you for that. Thank you, Father, that, Lord, you, you'll give us the grace to stand in the midst of any trial, of any tribulation. Your grace is sufficient for us. So we'll continue and believe you, Lord, to fully manifest in our lives that which you have set for us in due time. We thank you that you exalt us. So we'll give you the praise and all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Give, come on, give God one more hand of praise tonight. Hallelujah.